Today I will be reading Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in the old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, teach you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it, all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with us, the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next, to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving us is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. <laughs> My name is Cassie Bershawn, and um, I'm here to give a little story about how I've seen God's grace in my life. Um, so we, when Renus first asked me to talk about grace, I instantly said yes, which was very weird for me for many reasons. One being the obvious, talking in front of people can be really scary. <laughs> but number two was when he asked me, my first thoughts were, I have nothing good to say. My words have no importance or significance. I'm a young, naive 20-year-old. What could I possibly say to reach a church full of people with so much wisdom? This is almost my thought process every day, instantly putting myself down and not giving myself grace. And this is a constant battle for me. But when I got to thinking of why Renus asked me to speak, I was so and why I was so quick to say yes, it's because I may be bad at giving myself grace, and that's something I'm working on, but I've experienced so much grace from others and God in my life. So I wanted to share two points on this idea of grace and my personal experience with it. The first one being a big kind of like, whoa, moment with God. Um, and the second being where I've seen God's grace constantly through other people. So my first story of grace is when I was in high school, I was really struggling to find myself. And doing so, I really strayed away from God and the church and wasn't living the most Christian lifestyle. And my friend asked me to go to this Monday night thing called Tequila, if you don't know it. It's like a church thing that's really geared towards some of the younger generation. And I was pretty hesitant on going, but I agreed. And throughout the beginning worship, the sermon, and everything, I was pretty zoned out and didn't really care. Until the end when the speaker said, um, show me your friends and I'll show you f your future. And for some reason, that really piqued my interest. And my ears perked up, my head popped up, and my heart started pounding. And they went straight into singing the song, which is called No Longer a Slave. And I started bawling my eyes out. And if you know me, I do not cry in front of people. But I was overwhelmed with this grace that I hadn't even asked for and honestly didn't really know if I wanted at the time. During that moment and the rest of that night, I was struggling so much because I felt so guilty and so much fr shame for everything I had done, yet so felt so free and forgiven at the same time. All these feelings I had been trying to avoid were boiling over and I didn't know how to handle it. After that night, all I wanted to do was forget it happened because I didn't want to deal with the feelings and emotions, specifically guilt and shame. But that guilt and shame wasn't from God, it was all from me. God had came to me with love, grace, acceptance, and open arms ready to embrace me. But I wasn't ready for it because I wasn't ready to extend myself any grace. 
It took a couple months, but eventually I went running back into his arms where grace was still waiting for me, and God helped me learn to extend grace for myself. And the next story isn't as much about, isn't as much a story, but about a person where I've seen God's grace constantly flow out my entire life. Um, this person is my mom, and I can confidently say she's the most loving, grace-giving person I know. And for anyone that knows my mom, Barb, <laughs> um, would agree that she's an incredible woman. This woman has exemplified grace um, better than anyone I know. She has given me grace time after time. Most times I have not deserved it, have not asked for it, and maybe didn't even want it. But she has continually loved me, chosen me, and been there for me. Self-love being one of the biggest things I've struggled with. Growing up with a mom that has more grace and love than imaginable has been the biggest blessing in my life. Because even though I'm not the best at giving myself grace, giving myself grace or love, accepting God's grace and love, I have never once doubted my mom's deep love and grace that she asked for me. Last week, I was having a conversation with a woman, and she asked me through high school when I struggled with my faith, what was the little voice in my heart that kept me rooted in knowing God was still real in there? My answer was my mom. Seeking God through my mom, or seeing God work through my mom, has been one of the biggest things that has shaped my faith and who I am. I pray that one day that I can be as big of a grace giver. And the reason that my mom... And watching her give so much grace is just because God never has to give grace and he never, um, we never are deserving of it. And the fact that he continues to give it and where I've been able to see my mom continually give it to me um, just shows me how true he is with that. Um, so yeah, I've seen God's grace firsthand as well through others, but um, that has really solidified what God's grace is for me. Um, I will be reading to you from the book of Romans, chapter 5, verses 1 to 8, from the New Living Translation. And this passage is titled, Faith Brings Joy. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege, where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Hola and buenos dias. Or should I say hello and good morning? I want to share with you all my salvation story. My name is Juan Ruiz, or Juan Carlos, if you want to call me Carlos. Uh, 
Myself, Ale, my wife, and my two daughters, Eva and Ada, uh, we started to attend Varsity Bible, uh, Varsity Bible Church last August and have felt God's community since then. Ale and I moved to Canada back in 2007. I should confess, the cold is not easy. But we're Venezuelan, so South America is definitely not the same. Uh, I was born in Caracas, Venezuela, and I was raised Catholic. Uh, and I was pretty active participating in church activities. I lived a normal life as a teenager or university, a school, home, playing sports, friends, Sunday mass. I have a valuable group of friends, and I was hot and cold with God, even though I was still participating in the Sunday uh, mass as an altar boy. My priorities were studying, family, and trying to feed with my friends. After completing university, I moved to Europe for two years to complete a master's degree and work. I came back to Venezuela and had to move four hours away from my hometown. Uh, I was still participating in church mass, again, here and there, not necessarily fully involved. And uh, what God wasn't my total priority. Um, during the time uh, I moved, I had to face a new life. Believe it or not, I was 24. I have to know how to clean, do my dishes, buy food and all that, which back in Venezuela is not normal because you live with your family pretty much until you get married. So mom is always there for you. Uh, no one teaches you that, by the way. So uh, my prayer life was a minimum. God connection was, again, Sunday Mass, and that was it. And I was living by myself. I remember many encounters with people trying to reach out about God, but I just rejected them. It wasn't my priority. Few years after, back in 2003, I was 27, I got a call from a university friend, and she was in the area visiting. And she told me, hey, why we don't meet and catch up? She also mentioned that there was a friend who might join us during that weekend. And her friend was Ali. So that night I met Ali, my current wife, and we started to get to know each other. And while our friendship was growing, we started to visit each other. So we were like eight hours apart by bus. So I was taking a bus Friday night, getting there Saturday morning, and coming back Sunday to struggle to work. That was love made you do. Uh, I believe God uses his people to reach out one way or another. In this case, Ali was used by God back in the day. Uh, of course, when you, uh, I guess, like to impress someone, you will do whatever. And uh, Ali... The first gift she gave me was a Bible. And I was like, what? <laughs> a Bible? Uh, again, you do whatever. So Ale, tell me, okay, why we don't read the Bible every night together? You eight hours away, I'm here. And then we do our phone calls. We can exchange what did you read and what did you find today? Of course, I was doing that. Not easy. Uh, uh, I found it very awkward to doing that. Say, what? Like, you know, me as a Catholic, I was not necessarily doing that. Uh, even, even more strange was to come visit Ali on Sundays and go to her church because their family or her family was Christian. I was used to Mass, and now I have to go to a Church of Christ, uh, I guess, Sunday service. I felt very weird, I should confess. Uh, we started to date, and then I proposed. And uh, we went to Houston for a premarital curse back in 2004, December. 
the person in charge of the course was teaching us about marriage, and he knew that I wasn't baptized, so he also was showing me the gospel. Uh, many questions came to my mind at that time. What? I'm a Catholic. How can I change my religion? Why now? My family, what will they say? I'm coming back to Venezuela and telling them that. I remember closing the door to people telling me about God. And now I'm, I'm going to belong to that group now? What I'm doing here? It was very, I guess, uh, we are sitting in a table in front of that person. He's telling you, in your faith, you got to be baptized. God needs you here. And you are, what do I do? My heart was pounding. Uh, in the end, uh, I decided to give my life to Christ that December. Ali still tell me that the water was a little bit dirty. I said, really? It was dirty? Uh, uh, then, of course, the real time became. Say, I'm coming back to Venezuela. What will I tell my mom about this? I'm not going to mass anymore. My life is changing now. I pray, God, God, please make the return home smooth. I don't want trouble. Help me during my challenging times. We came home, we started to, or I started to participate in my hometown to the church uh, service, trying to get connected, trying to support the ministry. The Holy Spirit has been always there for me. Uh, I don't feel alone. I didn't feel alone back in the time. The one from before is not the one from today. And I can see changes in my life in the right direction. God gave me a serving heart. I'm a little outgoing, just a little. If you know me. And uh, he found me at the right time with the right person. He's looking for us all the time. Um, I want to close with a quick verse for all of us. Philippians 1 6 that says, He who began a good work in you will carry it up to completion until the days of Christ Jesus. Just let him drive the boat. Good morning. My, my name is Stan Pankratz, and I've been asked to share about God's saving grace in my life. It all began when I was a young child. God opened my spiritual eyes to see Jesus, to receive his forgiveness, and a journey that continues to this day. There are many points in my life where I can say, God has been my protector and watching over me and that he had his angels watching over me, and I'll name just a few. Capsizing a canoe on the Spray Lakes on a May long weekend and spending perhaps an hour in the water. Medically speaking, I'm a walking dead man. Getting stopped by a Syrian tank patrol in Beirut and remain living, I'm grateful. Being tossed about while repositioning a 40-foot yacht on lumpy seas during a 4-7 gale in the Mediterranean, I didn't have words for ugly. However, I'll briefly highlight an event early last year concluding a five-year human rights action against me related to a former employee. I was accused of having contravened the protected employment grounds of mental disabilities, physical disabilities, and religious beliefs. 
My belief was that I had acted honorably on all counts. I had responded to the allegations, claiming that there had been no tangible evidence provided to substantiate any of them, and countered that the claims, claims were malicious, frivolous, vexatious, and unprovoked. This matter went all the way up to the top of the human rights um, organization where a formal he hearing was held by the tribunal. Given significant legal costs, potentially $20,000 to retain a lawyer, and learning that irrespective of representation, the tribunal could choose to cast judgment either way. I elected to self-represent. If they found me guilty, I could potentially have to pay this employee up to another $30,000, money we really didn't have. I spent a great deal of time preparing and talking to God. He knew the situation and already knew the outcome, and I entrusted the case and the proceedings to him. The Psalms come to life in new ways when we experience turmoil. And I'll give you an example from Psalm 35. Oh Lord, you know all about this. Do not stay silent. Do not abandon me now, O oh Lord. Wake up, rise to my defense. Take up my case, my God and my Lord. Declare me not guilty, O oh Lord my God, for you give justice. Don't let my enemies laugh about me and my troubles. Don't let them say, Look, we got what we wanted. Now we will eat him alive. May those who rejoice at my troubles be humiliated and disgraced. May those who triumph over me be covered with shame and dishonor. But give great joy to those who came to my defense. Let them continually say, Great is the Lord who delights in blessing his servant with peace. Then I will proclaim your justice and I will praise you all day long. In the end, I was exonerated, much to my and my family's relief. And I thank God and praise him for saving me from this dilemma. Once again, he showed me his faithfulness and unmerited favor, grace. However, the most important story of God's grace in my life is his never-changing daily acceptance of me, in spite of my faltering attempts to follow Jesus and to yet become the person he desires for me to become. I continue to find myself falling short in my thoughts, in my actions, to be that person. Yet God continues to forgive and to forget, and he reminds me that I'm one of his children. That is truly evidence of his most amazing grace in my life. Oh, still not, seriously. Okay. <laughs> we are going to get this by, Cracky. Uh, 
Grace is grace because it's offered by someone. And in our case, it's offered by a good father. And over the last few weeks, we heard the story of the prodigal son. And so we heard it from the perspective of the son who was in deep need of grace. We also heard it from the perspective of the older brother who also was in deep need of grace, just not as clear about that. And then what we want to do today is give the last word to the father, to the good father, to the one who offers grace. Um, and so the picture we have is of a, our God with his arms open. And we are going to watch the last act of the prodigal son video so that we can give God the last word. Heed me well. Know my journey. And never forget. I am the Father. Peaceful I am. And most blessed of God. Being the father of children is a task not made easy. It's a road of much joy and sorrow. My eyes are dimmed from reading the holy book and my knees. They're worn from constant prayers of intercession. What's my job, you may ask me? How are you employed? My job is love. Yes, it's true I own many fields and vineyards. But my principal task and joy in life is the love of my children. My two sons, whom I love equally. It's my responsibility to teach them how to become like the Father. For that's what we all must become in time if we are to fulfill God's purposes for our lives. <sighs> my two sons, like night and day, yet each has in turn left my bosom. My younger son, left to experience the world, Satan tempted him with new life, not pure and holy as from above, but dark, sensuous as from below, with experiences meant to excite and to addict, not to free. I find it fascinating how lust and greed are often more enticing than pure unending love. I cannot blame the world for my son's fall. It's not their fault. Most of them have never known the love of a father. They're lost, blind, without hope, lost in a world that offers everything but love. And it's love that truly feeds the soul. My older son, well, he stayed within my sight, but he lives in his own world full of anger and bitterness. I find it interesting how the pious world would condemn my younger son, but would not see the lostness of his older brother. But I believe, in fact, that the older one is more lost than the younger one ever was. 
everything lies before him like a banquet, my experience, my wealth, my love. But he'd have none of it. He looks on me as though I were the enemy. Well, I am glad to say that my younger son has returned into my caring heart. The joy I felt at his return. You see, he gave up his sonship for the lure of the world, for self-greed and the desires of the flesh. And when he left, he took with him all that I could give him and more. He never knew that, but I gave him more. I give good gifts to those I love. But with the tears in my eyes and pain in my heart, I let him go to the wolves of the world. I could not stop him, nor would I. It's not my job to control. It's my job to love. And so I let him go. Through my anger, through my tears, I did for him the only thing I could do. I prayed. And it was enough. I will never, never forget the moment of his returning. There I was, out in the field, working away. Always one eye on my working, always one eye on the road, watching, waiting for my child to come home. And then all of a sudden, he was just there. In the distance, my jaw had dropped open. I let go of what I was doing, and I just began to run to my child, arms wide open, his old legs pumping away. And when I got to him, I fell at his feet with tears of joy. Such repentance in his eyes. He tried to tell me of his journey. Didn't matter to me. All that mattered was that my child was home, safe within my caring. Do you know that my children always have a place at my table? Always. Oh, that my older son would have the younger's repentant spirit. My older son ever so proud on the outside, ever so broken on the inside, ever trying to please me with his working, 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 but ever so calloused in his heart. You know, I can't even wrap my arms around him in front of the workers. They call him the Iron Fist, and rightfully so, because, you know, he can be scary. So I do for him. That which I did for his brother. That which I do for all of my children. I pray. The Sovereign God has delivered one child back into my arms. Oh, that he'd deliver the others. 
Heed me well. Know my journey. And never forget. I am the father. Well, we've had quite a morning, Palm Sunday. Kevin and your team, thank you for inviting us to join you in worship. Um, Emma and Darlene, thank you for inviting us to listen to the scripture, the word of God this morning. Uh, Cassidy and Juan and uh, Stan, thank you for inviting us to look into your hearts and see God's grace at work there. You've invited us into, uh, to be a part of this, and I have one more invitation for you this morning. When you think back to Palm Sunday, it was the beginning of a very tumultuous week for Jesus and for his followers. Not long before Palm Sunday, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, which created a huge stir and um, sort of uh, set the uh, Pharisees and their other religious leaders against him. He was anointed by the woman with perfume, and of course that offended Judas, who thought what a waste of money could have been given to the poor or some other excuse. Uh, but on this morning, Jesus rode a donkey into Jerusalem, and he was celebrated as the king, as the Messiah, by many, many people, which also offended the Pharisees and other religious leaders. And later, Jesus cleared the temple and drove out the money changers, got rid of the people selling animals as sacrifices, which also offended the religious leaders. And then he was challenged and argued with the religious leaders, and then he began to teach his disciples the last things that he wanted to teach them before he died. Because at the end of this week, he had held the Last Supper, the Passover, for the very last time with his disciples before his death. The Passover was a celebration. Really, it was, a, it was kind of like a party. Uh, it was a remembrance of God delivering Israel from slavery in Egypt. And people gathered in families and in large groups uh, mostly because they had to eat an entire lamb. That was the plan, so you couldn't leave any left over. You had to eat it all, so you had, had enough people there so you could eat it all. But they also remembered the blood of that lamb that was put on the doorposts of every house to save the oldest son from the angel of death that went through Egypt and killed the firstborn of every family. Little did the disciples know that this celebration would be so much more significant than any Passover meal that they had eaten before. They were sharing this meal with the perfect Passover lamb, whose death and shed blood would be available to every person for all of a history who would accept it as their forgiveness of sins and set them free for all eternity. At this supper, in the midst of the celebration and remembering, Jesus knew that very night, one of his disciples would betray him to his death. A second would deny, not once, not twice, but three times that he even knew him, and all the rest would abandon him just when he needed them the most. None of them 
deserved to be at that table with Jesus. So what does he do to those he knows are going to totally let him down? John chapter 13, starting at verse 1, tells us, It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served. The devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus showed tremendous grace to his disciples, who he knew were going to walk away from him that very night. And he did it because he loved them. Today he is that very same Passover lamb who loves us just as much, and he is inviting us to this same table to remember his sacrifice that changes our lives and changes actually the entire history of the world. He wants you to come. This Lenten season, Renus and Susan, as she mentioned earlier, have led us through several stories in the Bible about grace. The prodigal son story, which we have observed here today again. The prodigal son wasted everything, was ruined, but even before he asked, the father welcomed him back and then had a party for him. That's grace. The older son refused to join the celebration, so the father went out to him and talked to him, encouraged him to come in, told him that everything he owned was his. And he was welcome at that same table. That was grace. In the parable of the vineyard workers, the early workers were welcome at the table. The late workers were equally welcome. The early workers were not so happy about the late workers being there. But that's grace. Why? Because none of them, none of us, deserve to be at this table. None of us have done anything that would give us an invitation to the table. And yet Jesus is still welcoming us to the table. Whether we identify as the prodigal son, the elder son, the early vineyard workers, the late workers, he, inv he is inviting us all. Why? We don't deserve to be at the table. Why does he invite us? Because he loves us. He knows that like his disciples, we have failed him. We've abandoned him. We have betrayed him. We have denied him. And likely will do so again. But like at the Last Supper, he is still welcoming, welcoming us to the table because he loves us. Uh, Susan, Brenda, Hope, could you come forward? So today you are welcome at the table, the table of remembrance. We remember Jesus coming into Jerusalem as a king at the beginning of this week and being executed as a criminal at the end of the week, alone and forsaken. But he went through this for you and for me so we would not have to. God's grace and love, totally undeserved by all of us, is still offered to us today. Welcome to his table. When you're ready, please come forward to receive the combination of the wafer and juice. Take it back to your seat, and as the band plays, uh, great is your faithfulness. You can consume it, 
as you remember what God's grace has given you. Let's pray. Thank you, our Father, for your grace so freely given to us and to our ancestors for centuries past that invites us to be part of your family at this table, to accept the sacrifice of Jesus, the Passover lamb in our place, and give us life for eternity. May our remembrance this morning bring us a greater awareness of your grace and love at work in our lives and allow us to love you even more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.